Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirchner. Today on Justice Matters, Glenn does his weekly legal recap and talks about the art of flipping a defendant. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here, back at it again for another weekend episode of Justice Matters. As always, we're going to start with a recap of the biggest legal stories of the week, and then we're going to do a deep dive, a deep dive into the art of flipping. No, I'm not talking about gymnastics. I'm talking about flipping witnesses, flipping defendants in criminal investigations, in criminal prosecutions, using someone who has committed crimes themselves as witnesses against other criminals, using them to work our way up the criminal ladder, or as we often hear it referred to, going after the bigger criminal fish. And I think we all know who the biggest criminal fish is these days. It's the big orange blowfish himself, Donald Trump. Now friends, in my 30 years as a prosecutor, I flipped lots of defendants. You know, some of my colleagues accused me of being a little too enamored of working with cooperating witnesses. I even had some friends and colleagues call me the king of the cooperators. And let me tell you, that's not a compliment you know, I'm not bragging that somebody once called me the, the king of cooperators because working with cooperating witnesses can be extremely difficult. And some prosecutors honestly just kind of avoid it like the plague. They don't want to work with cooperators. They don't want to work with criminals to try to prove their cases. But me, I always thought, look, cooperating witnesses are like my de facto experts on crime. They're out there, you know, doing crime with others. They know who's in the community doing what. They're the ones who are often ideally positioned to testify about the crimes of others. The problem is, given that they're criminals themselves, it can be a real challenge, sort of getting them to a point where they understand that they have to tell the truth about everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. And frankly, if the truth hurts my case against a particular bigger criminal fish, that's okay. If it helps my case, that's okay. It has to be the truth. Even a truth that might not be particularly good for my case or for my theory of liability. I'm going to talk about all of that a little bit later during our chat today. 
but let's think about a potential cooperating witness like Rudy Giuliani, right? A guy who did a bunch of crime with and for the benefit of Donald Trump, or a guy like Mark Meadows did a bunch of crime for the benefit of Donald Trump, and now these men are having to decide whether to flip, whether to cooperate against Donald Trump to try to reduce their own criminal exposure, reduce their own liability, perhaps even reduce their own eventual prison sentence. And we'll definitely talk about specifics when it comes to guys like Rudy and Mark Meadows. You know, they may have flipped already for all we know, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about the breadcrumbs that we see and that we can follow to reach some reasonable conclusions about the status of Rudy and Mark these days. But I'm gonna start a little bit more broadly, more generally, talking about how we as prosecutors, how I, as a former career prosecutor, approached a potential cooperating witness or cooperating defendant. Those two terms are really kind of interchangeable, cooperating witness, cooperating defendant. We're gonna talk about how you have to work with that person, the person who may be on the road to cooperation, to try to convince him or her to make a different decision moving forward in their lives. You know, you can say, look, you've tried a life of crime. You know, you've tried to do Donald Trump's criminal bidding in lots of ways, large and small. How about you now make a different decision? How about if you help hold Donald Trump accountable for his crimes? How about if you try to make things better rather than worse? And I'm going to talk about the art of flipping witnesses, flipping defendants, and what it involves. And one of the reasons that I want to talk about this right now, at this moment in time, at this moment in our nation's history, is because Donald Trump's one and only charged co-conspirator, his one and only indicted co-defendant, Walt Nauda has at long last been arraigned in court on Thursday. And now, friends, we're going to be hearing more and more about people potentially flipping against Donald Trump. I guarantee you, once the indictments start dropping regarding the insurrection, I mean, we're still in the classified documents and espionage crimes case at this moment. But once those indictments start dropping for the insurrection for January 6th, I mean, there's going to be so much flipping, you're going to think you're at a gymnastics meet. So I'll get to the art of flipping in a moment. But first, let's start with a recap of some of the legal stories of the past week. On the way, Donald Trump's threatening speech continues, and no one seems to be able to stop it. Glenn talks about that next on Justice Matters. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. 
It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Donald Trump is ramping up more dangerous rhetoric in social media posts. Glenn explains how his speech is dangerous to individuals and to the nation. Do you know what story has me really frustrated, angry, incensed? It's a story that involves the ongoing danger of Donald Trump. Donald Trump's reckless, dangerous, threatening speech, whether it's at his rallies or when he's being interviewed on some, you know, faux news network or his posts on his third-rate social media platform, his dangerous speech, his threatening speech continues unabated, unaddressed by our law enforcement agencies. And I have to tell you, friends, I am at a loss as a former career prosecutor. I am at a loss to figure out why that is. Let's take on just a couple of examples in recent days. One of Donald Trump's supporters, who himself is an insurrectionist, and I say that because this guy committed crimes at the Capitol on January 6th. One of Donald Trump's supporters is this guy named Taylor Taranto. Taylor Taranto was wanted for having committed multiple crimes at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. He was wanted, but he hadn't yet been arrested. Now, reportedly, he was living in his van. I guess he didn't have a fixed address. Law enforcement didn't know where to find him, hadn't yet found him to arrest him, but he was wanted. There was an arrest warrant out for him. And Taylor Taranto saw Donald Trump post something on Truth Social, Donald Trump's third-rate social media platform. Taylor Taranto saw Donald Trump post President Barack Obama's home address in Washington, D.C. And Taylor Taranto then reposted Donald Trump's post that included President Obama's address. Taranto reposted it on his own social media account, and then he armed himself with two guns, 400 rounds of ammunition, and a machete, and he headed to President Obama's home. Now, fortunately, he was arrested as he approached President Obama's home. But look, it's pretty clear that the reason he knew where to go find President Obama was courtesy of Donald Trump's post. 
which he, Taranto, reposted. And Donald Trump has not been held to account. A couple of days later, what does Donald Trump post? Well, he posts that special counsel Jack Smith should be, quote, put out to rest, close quote. Put out to rest. Not that he should be replaced as special counsel, not that he should be removed from the investigation, not even that he should be fired. No, he should be put out to rest. Friends, laying somebody to rest, saying somebody should be put down, this is violent language, violent imagery, and Donald Trump knows it. And yet, Donald Trump not only endangers the life of President Barack Obama, but he also gets to threaten and endanger the very person who is criminally prosecuting him, Jack Smith, who he tells his followers should be put out to rest. You know, Donald Trump is indicted for dozens and dozens of felony crimes. He's indicted pending trial in the state of New York. He's indicted pending trial in federal court in Florida. He's about to be indicted and pending trial in state court in Georgia. He will very likely be indicted again in federal court in New Jersey for the classified documents crimes he committed in that state. And then he will ultimately and undoubtedly be indicted for the insurrection in federal court in Washington, D.C. Yet, he continues his dangerous ways, his dangerous speech, his dangerous posts, unabated. He threatens people expressly. He threatens the prosecutor in New York, District Attorney Alvin Bragg, by posting a picture of himself, Trump, holding a baseball bat, mid-swing, appearing to swing the bat at the head of a photograph of Alvin Bragg, you know, and then he tells his supporters that Jack Smith should be put out to rest. Friends, Donald Trump is a danger to the community. Donald Trump is a danger to our society. Donald Trump is a danger to American democracy. And here's the thing, friends. We actually have a law for that. We have a procedure for that. We have a remedy for that. For someone who is facing dozens and dozens of felony crimes pending trial, we have a mechanism. We have a vehicle to address the danger, to mitigate the danger, to alleviate the danger. It's called pretrial detention. Now, what does it take to detain somebody pending trial? Well, I can tell you firsthand, because in my decades as a prosecutor, when I believed I had sufficient evidence to request that a defendant be detained pending trial, I made that motion to the judge. And the judge then had to decide whether the defendant should be detained pending trial or not. First, friends, let's talk about 
the standard to detain somebody pending trial. And then let's talk about Trump's incessant and inane claim that prosecuting him, which includes the possibility of confining him, right, whether pending trial or upon conviction, prosecuting him is somehow election interference, right? I mean, he drops that phrase in almost every threatening thing he says, he does, he posts, election interference. You know, after bad-mouthing and threatening the people who are seeking to hold him accountable, he often blurts out, election interference. Friends, it's not election interference. And we'll talk about why that is in a minute. But let's start with the standard to preventively detain someone. That is to jail someone, detain someone pending trial. Coming up, why isn't Donald Trump in jail after being indicted? And why does a judge choose to have someone detained while waiting for trial? That's next on Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Normally, a judge will decide to put someone in jail while waiting for a trial if they are a danger to the community. But doesn't that apply to Donald Trump? Here's Glenn. So friends, what does it take to have a judge order someone detained pending trial? In other words, after the person is indicted, is arrested, is presented to the court, to the judge for their first court hearing, their presentment or their arraignment hearing, what is the necessary showing? Right? What is the necessary factual showing? And what is the applicable legal standard in order for a judge to order somebody detained pending trial, that is to be jailed until their trial date. Well, essentially the prosecutors have to prove one of two things. The prosecutors have to prove that the defendant is either a danger to the community or that the defendant is a flight risk. That is, if the defendant is released pending trial, he is unlikely to return to court. He will flee. Danger to the community or flight risk. One of those two things must be proved to the judge's satisfaction, and it must be proved by clear and convincing evidence. That is the legal evidentiary standard, clear and convincing evidence. So let's unpack all of that. 
let's start with this basic proposition of law. There is a presumption in favor of pretrial release. What does that mean? Everybody, every defendant who was arrested and brought before the court, the court, the judge, is to presume that the right thing to do with that person is to release them pending trial or pending their next court appearance. And that presumption of pretrial release was codified in the Federal Bail Reform Act. And I think most jurisdictions, mind you, there are 50 states, 50 jurisdictions, lots of states have their own version of you know pretrial release or pretrial detention and what the standards are, but by and large, the presumption, the norm, is for people to be released pending trial, not jailed, pending trial. So only if the prosecutors can present evidence to the judge that no conditions of release can guarantee the public's safety or can guarantee that the defendant will return to court if released, only if there are no other possible conditions that the court can set, can the defendant then be jailed pending trial. And when I say conditions of release, what do I mean? Well, somebody can be arrested, be presented to the judge for the first time, and the judge can order certain conditions of release. In other words, the judge could order the defendant to stay away from the victim in the case. The judge could order the defendant to stay away from a particular location, a business, a school, somebody's home, an apartment complex. A judge can release somebody and order them not to use illegal substances and can order that they submit to drug testing by a court supervision agency once a week, twice a week, five times a week, once a month. Somebody can be ordered released but put on home detention or given a curfew. Perhaps they can leave their home between the hours of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. only to attend work. But at other times, they must be home, home detention or modified home detention. A judge can order somebody released on electronic monitoring, put an ankle bracelet on such that that person can be tracked. So the court will know if the person is violating a condition of release. So there are all kinds of conditions of release that the court can impose short of pretrial detention, short of putting the person in jail pending trial. And it is only if the judge concludes that no combinations of pretrial release will protect the community or will guarantee that the defendant doesn't flee, will guarantee that the defendant will return to court, only if the judge satisfies himself or herself that none of that will work can the judge impose pretrial detention. So what is the showing the prosecutors have to make? Well, they have to be able to prove that the person is a danger to the community or a flight risk by clear and convincing evidence. That is the evidentiary burden or hurdle that the prosecutors have to reach or overcome. And that's where the rubber meets the road because frankly most people who are indicted, who are charged, who are presented to the court having committed well, in Donald Trump's case, dozens and dozens of felonies, there's certainly some danger attended to that, right? Or maybe the person 
poses at least some flight risk? Well, it can't be any old danger. And it can't be just a slight chance or a possibility that the defendant will flee. It has to be proved by clear and convincing evidence. Okay, what does that mean? Where does that standard fall on the hierarchy of legal standards? Well, really the lowest standard once we're in court is probable cause, right? That's a relatively low standard. And that is the standard by which somebody can be arrested. If the police have probable cause to believe a crime has been committed and the defendant is the one who committed it, that person can be arrested or the police can apply for an arrest warrant, making out in a sworn statement of facts, an affidavit, showing the judge, judge, here's the evidence. Here's the evidence proving we have probable cause a crime was committed and the defendant we're seeking to arrest committed it probable cause to arrest, probable cause to search. If you want a search warrant, you have to present a judge with probable cause. Probable cause is the standard to indict somebody for a grand jury to return an indictment. It's one of the lowest levels of sort of an evidentiary standard that we have in the criminal law. There's one below that. It's called reasonable, articulable suspicion. That's what allows law enforcement to stop and frisk somebody in the case of Terry versus Ohio, but I'm not going to go below probable cause. Reasonable, articulable suspicion is a topic for another day. So from probable cause, if we jump up one rung on the evidentiary ladder, the next stop is a preponderance of the evidence. More likely than not, 51%. So you have probable cause, preponderance of the evidence, the next one up on the ladder, the next big player, big ticket player, is clear and convincing evidence. That is the evidentiary burden prosecutors have if they want to convince a judge that a person should be detained pending trial. The next evidentiary burden above clear and convincing evidence is the granddaddy of all burdens of proof, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. That's way up in the 90s, in the 90 percentile. And that is the standard, of course, by which a jury can convict somebody, can vote guilty. They have to be persuaded beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant committed the charged offense. So clear and convincing evidence hovers somewhere between a preponderance of the evidence, 51%, and beyond a reasonable doubt, up in the 90s, probably the high 90s. Now, friends, I'm making up that number because no court has ever said there's a numeric number that can be assigned to proof beyond a reasonable doubt. 92%, 95%, 98%, nobody knows, but it's way up there. You got to be pretty darn sure in order to vote guilty. So clear and convincing evidence, it's a hefty burden, but it's not as hefty as beyond a reasonable doubt. So what the prosecutors have to do is present evidence and information to the judge that shows the defendant by clear and convincing evidence is a danger to the community or is a flight risk. So against that backdrop, let me just go ahead and state something as a matter of fact. Donald Trump is a danger to the community. He has been for a very long time. 
and he continues to prove each and every day he is a danger to the community, to society, to the people who are prosecuting him, to the witnesses against him. I mean, the dude's a danger, period. You know, he threatens the very people who are prosecuting him. He's a danger to the community, and yet no prosecutor has seen fit to even present the evidence to a judge in an effort to argue that Donald Trump satisfies the clear and convincing evidence standard that makes him a danger to the community, that militates in favor of pretrial detention. You know, in my estimation, he's so plainly a danger to the community that the decision to decline to ask for him to be detained pending trial is a law enforcement failure that works to the detriment of the community, that works to the danger of the community. Now, I don't know, maybe it's because people actually believe Donald Trump when he yells and screams that the fact that he's being prosecuted, the fact that he's being criminally investigated constitutes election interference. It doesn't constitute election interference. You know why? Just because Donald Trump happens to be running for office again doesn't mean he is immune from investigation or prosecution or conviction or confinement. If the candidate running for political office is a criminal, then it's not election interference to hold the criminal accountable for his crimes. You know, if the person running for elected office is not only a criminal, but is somebody who poses a danger to the community or is a flight risk, it's not political interference to have a judge order him detained pending trial. The way any other human being in our nation would be ordered, detained, pending trial if they had done even one one-hundredth of what Donald Trump has done. On January 6th, launching a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol or after leaving the presidency by mishandling classified documents, by obstructing justice, and by violating our nation's espionage laws? Anybody other than Donald Trump who did those things would be cooling their heels in a jail cell pending trial. And the fact that Donald Trump is not is a huge mistake, in my opinion. And because Donald Trump continues to be allowed by law enforcement authorities to post and say dangerous and threatening things has given us headlines like this one, most recently published by the Washington Post. Prosecutors in Trump classified documents case are facing threats. Individual prosecutors involved in the classified documents case against former President Donald Trump are facing substantial harassment and threats online and elsewhere, according to extremism experts and a government official familiar with the matter. That's the new news in the Washington Post. And friends, those threats are courtesy of Donald Trump's dangerous, violent, 
unaddressed rhetoric. And we are left to wonder, when will our law enforcement agencies do something, anything, to curb, to deter, to stop the danger posed by Donald Trump? Up next, how do you get a witness to cooperate? That's on the way on Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A witness who has committed a crime can be a difficult problem for prosecutors. So how do you get them to flip and give truthful testimony during a trial? Here's Glenn to explain. Okay, friends, let's turn our attention to the wild world of cooperating witnesses. And I can attest to the fact that it is a wild world indeed. Ordinarily, when we're prosecuting cases, you know, we investigate crime, we find the witnesses that have relevant information, relevant evidence to provide. You know, first they tend to provide it to the police, then to the grand jury, then to the trial jury. We look for people who saw the crime, who know about the crime, who learned about the crime, maybe courtesy of admissions being made by the criminal, right? We look for witnesses who might know the motive behind the crime. You know, we look for all of the witnesses who have relevant information and evidence. And then you have this special category of witnesses, people that we refer to as cooperators. Sometimes we call them cooperating witnesses, cooperating defendants, sometimes just cooperators. We often designate them as CW, CW, cooperating witness. You know, these are terms of art because these witnesses are cooperating, right? They're cooperating with law enforcement, with agents and investigators and detectives. They're cooperating with prosecutors. And ultimately, the goal is to have these cooperating witnesses testify at trial. So these are people who have committed crimes themselves and who the government, the prosecutors, have decided they want to use as testifying witnesses to prove the crimes of others. And when I say others, ordinarily, we look to have cooperating witnesses provide information and evidence against people who are higher up on the criminal ladder, higher up on the criminal food chain, right? We talk about the the big criminal fish, and as I said earlier, the biggest criminal fish here is the big orange blowfish, Donald Trump. 
So let's talk about the nuts and bolts of figuring out who the prosecutors might want to use as cooperators, cooperating witnesses, cooperating defendants, and how we typically go about developing cooperating witnesses. So let me start with this, friends. Ordinarily, you think about prosecutors flipping witnesses early on in the process, maybe early on in an investigation before you start to return indictments against you know, the bigger, more culpable criminal players. But here's the thing. You can flip a witness really at any point in the process. What do I mean by that? You can flip somebody during the early stages of an investigation before anybody has been arrested or indicted. You can flip somebody after they've been arrested. You can flip somebody after they've been indicted. You can flip somebody after you take them to trial and convict them, but before they are sentenced. You can even flip somebody after they've been sentenced and are serving a prison term. And we'll talk briefly about what each one of those different stages looks like when you're trying to flip someone. So friends, I spent a lot of years prosecuting a lot of cases. In fact, 22 of my 30 years as a prosecutor, I was prosecuting murder cases and RICO cases in the courts of Washington, D.C. So I got to deal with lots and lots and lots of cooperating witnesses or defendants who aspired to be cooperators. They wanted to become cooperators in one case or another. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the ABCs or the nuts and bolts of bringing cooperating witnesses on board. And then I'll try to finish up by applying what we learned during the nuts and bolts session to the investigations into Donald Trump. And really the reason this topic is so timely right now is because Donald Trump's one and only indicted co-defendant, co-conspirator Walt Nauda has now been arraigned in federal court down in Florida. And I have no doubt that the prosecutors have been involved in and are probably still involved in efforts to develop Walt Nauda as a cooperating witness against Donald Trump and perhaps against others. So let's start with the ABCs of developing cooperating witnesses. So let's use a pretty routine, pretty standard example of a conspiracy. Conspiracy to rob a bank. Let's keep it simple. We've got two co-conspirators who have agreed to rob a bank. The job of one conspirator is to steal a gun, steal a car that will be used to drive to and from the bank robbery, and the job of the other conspirator is to go into the bank with the gun, get the money, come out, hop back in the getaway car, and make good their escape, as they say. Now, nobody's supposed to get hurt. There's no plan to shoot anyone. So that's the nature of the conspiracy. And then on the day of the robbery, the driver drives them to the bank, the gunman gets out, runs into the bank, tells everybody, get down on the ground, this is a bank robbery, you know, just like we see in the movies. 
The gunman hops over the counter, starts taking the money out of the drawers, at which point a bank guard emerges, he begins to pull his gun, and the gunman shoots the guard dead. He then continues to take all the money he can get his hands on, he runs out of the bank, hops back into the car, and the driver drives them both away from the scene of the crime. Now, law enforcement authorities investigate the bank robbery, and they pretty quickly develop enough evidence to identify the gunman. They get an arrest warrant, and they lock him up. The gunman invokes his Miranda rights, decides not to give a statement, doesn't say anything about what he did or who the getaway driver was. So law enforcement continues to investigate, and they develop some evidence about who the getaway driver might have been, but it's not enough evidence to meet the probable cause standard, so they can't get an arrest warrant. Now, at this point, there are lots of different ways law enforcement could decide to play this, but let's just say they decide to step to the person they believe to be the driver and conduct a voluntary interview, and then they decide that they're gonna try to make the driver a cooperating witness. Now, I'm gonna bypass lots of the legal landmines for purposes of this hypothetical. We could spend a few hours talking about the legal ins and outs of any number of issues, but just by way of illustration, early on, let's say that they float the idea to this person that they suspect is the getaway driver. They float the possibility of cooperation. And, you know, cooperation could look something like, you know, look, we know you were just the driver. We know you didn't shoot the bank guard. That was the guy we have locked up. But, you know, as part of a conspiracy, the law says, Every co-conspirator is on the hook, is criminally liable for every crime committed by every other member of the conspiracy. That's the law of conspiracy. So the getaway driver, in the eyes of the law, is just as guilty for the murder that occurred inside the bank, even though he never set foot in the bank. So look, I'm sorry about your luck, sport, but you're on the hook for murder. But... Maybe you'd like to cooperate. Maybe you'd like to flip, testify against the gunman, your co-conspirator. Maybe we'll give you a reduced plea. You know, maybe you could just plead guilty to stealing the car and stealing the gun and entering into a conspiracy. Conspiracy is a five-year beef, but guess what? Murder is a 30-year beef. So, you know, you might want to think about cooperating. So. That could be before the driver is even arrested. They could try to flip him and develop him as a cooperating witness against the gunman, his co-conspirator. Now, you know, maybe the driver thinks, you know, no, nah, I'm going to take my chances, maintains his innocence, or just doesn't want to get involved in possibly cooperating against the gunman. Well, if law enforcement gets enough evidence to meet the probable cause standard. They get a warrant, they lock him up. Now the driver is locked up, right? Now his status has changed. Now maybe the police and the prosecutors have a little bit more 
leverage over him. Heck, maybe when he was presented in court after being arrested, the judge concluded that he was either a danger to the community or a flight risk, and maybe he's sitting in pretrial detention. He's sitting in jail pending trial. So the prosecutors and the agents, the detectives, have a whole lot more leverage over him right now. And the driver may think to himself, boy, cooperation looks a little bit better now. They kind of called my bluff. Now I'm locked up. I'm pending trial. You know, maybe he is still unwilling to flip. Maybe he's going to stay strong. He's going to be a soldier. He's not going to, you know, give up his co-conspirator, the gunman. Well, you know what, friends? Usually we like to work our way up the criminal food chain. But if the evidence against the gunman is strong and he's willing to plead guilty, maybe plead to a lesser degree of murder, maybe plead guilty to second degree murder, even though this qualified as a first degree felony murder, murder committed during the course of an enumerated felony, you know, maybe the gunman pleads guilty and flips down the food chain and gives up the driver. That's not ordinarily the way we like to do it in a perfect world, but goodness knows we have flipped people down the criminal food chain before. But you know what? Maybe neither one of them wants to plead guilty. Maybe neither one of them wants to flip against the other. Well, you know, then we can take them both to trial, get them both convicted, and then before the driver is sentenced, after he's been convicted, after a jury found him guilty of being in this conspiracy to rob the bank and guilty of all of the other crimes that each one of them committed, including the murder, you know, we can actually step back to the driver after he's been convicted, but before he's been sentenced and say, look, sport, now you're facing 30, 40, 50 years in prison but you still have an opportunity. You want to come on board now? You want to cooperate? We will go to the judge at the time of your sentencing and perhaps ask for a reduced prison term than if you decided not to cooperate. So friends, you know, I flipped people after they were convicted, but before they were sentenced. But maybe the driver still holds fast and says, nope, not gonna do it. Then you go into court. Let's assume the judge doles out 40 years in prison. The driver is sent off to prison. You know, he cools his heels for a while, and then we step back to him. We say, well, now you're looking at basically spending the rest of your natural life in prison. Or you can still flip. You can still agree to cooperate, and we can perhaps file a motion to reduce your sentence. Now, let me tell you, friends, the benefit that this driver's going to get will get less and less advantageous as time goes on. But you know what? Never say never. You know, I have at times spent years working toward trying and convicting and holding accountable somebody who I knew could give me a bigger fish. And even after I convicted him, I was still willing to enter into a cooperation agreement with him by which he provides truthful information about others and we look to ask the judge to reduce his sentence or his exposure. Now let me tell you friends, none of this is easy. 
And if you bring a cooperating witness on board, you damn well better have lots of corroborating evidence, lots of information that you can use to satisfy yourself that the cooperating witness is telling you only the truth, right? Because any cooperator you put on the stand, if you've given them some benefit in exchange for their truthful testimony, will be cross-examined mightily at trial by a defense attorney saying things like to the witness, to the cooperator, this prosecutor right here did you a huge solid, did you an enormous benefit, gave you a break, right? And you want this jury to believe you're telling the truth. You're going to say anything this prosecutor wants you to say. Heck, he's virtually holding the keys to your jail cell in his hand. That's fair cross-examination. It's effective cross-examination. And that's why if you're going to put a cooperating witness on the stand and urge 12 citizens sitting in a jury box to believe him or her, well, you damn well better have a whole lot of corroboration that supports what the cooperating witness is saying. You know, I tell every aspiring cooperator that I ever worked with, I want the whole truth, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't just want you to tell me something you think I want to hear. I don't just want you to tell me something you think will make my case stronger against others. I need the truth, including any evidence that might undercut the guilt of the person I'm prosecuting, because I can only go into court with the full truth. And I would tell these guys, mainly guys, sometimes female cooperators, I would tell them, look, if you tell me one lie, even the tiniest lie, even a lie you think is going to strengthen my case, and I find out about it, I will. I will not be somebody you want to see in a courtroom because I will go to your sentencing judge and I will tell them, judge, he tried to give us a lie to frame somebody. He tried to offer us a fact that was untrue. And prosecutors, good prosecutors, honest ethical prosecutors have no time of day for a fact that is untrue coming out of the mouth of a cooperating witness. So yes, it's a challenge to make sure that if you're going to present a cooperator, somebody who's done a bunch of dirt themselves, and you're going to ask a jury to credit them, to believe them, and to use what they say to convict others, well, you better come prepared to corroborate that cooperator's testimony. So now Walt Nauta, Donald Trump's one and only charged co-conspirator, charged co-defendant, at least at this moment in time, he's the one and only. There will be more. He has a decision to make. Does he want to go down with Donald Trump in a very real sense? Does he want to go down for Donald Trump by hiding Donald Trump's criminal secrets, taking them to the grave with him? Or does he want to make a different decision? Perhaps save himself some prison time. You know, he's not an old man. And he could actually do the nation some good in the process by helping prosecutors hold a criminal former president of the United States accountable for his crimes. You know, I'm quite certain prosecutors 
worked long and hard to bring Walt Nauta on board before they ever had to indict him. And he was evidently unwilling to flip on Trump. Now that he sees his name on the wrong side of the V, United States of America versus Donald Trump and Walt Nauta, you know, that has a way of focusing one's attention. And maybe if Nauta gets himself a good, competent, zealous, independent lawyer who is working for his best interests, not for the best interests of Donald Trump, maybe we will see Walt Nauta drop out of this case and become a cooperating witness. And it's not only Walt Nauta, right? Rudy Giuliani has that same decision to make. Remember, the recent reporting had Giuliani sitting for a proffer session with Jack Smith's prosecutors. Well, you know what a proffer session is? That's the kind of session that we have with somebody when we're trying to flip them. When we know that person has committed crimes, we sit down with them for a proffer session, we give them what we call queen for a day immunity. They can come in, tell us all about their crimes and all about the crimes of others, including Donald Trump, without any of those statements being used against them. That's what that one day immunity provides them. They can come in and talk about all these crimes and not worry about it being used against them. And then we assess the kind of deal we might offer to a Rudy Giuliani. We will say, look, Rudy, you can plead guilty to this series of crimes if you testify truthfully about the crimes of others, and those others include everybody, right? John Eastman and Jenna Ellis and, you know, Bannon and Flynn and Stone and that whole ugly assortment of Donald Trump's criminal associates and, of course, Donald Trump himself. And if you do that, well, then you can maybe reduce your criminal exposure. That's why we have proffer sessions with people. So we can evaluate what they say, investigate what they say, make sure they're telling the truth, make sure we can corroborate what they are saying, and then we will offer them a cooperation deal. And Mark Meadows may very well be in the same posture Right? We don't know because, you know, he's gone underground. I don't think anybody's seen him since, I don't know, Groundhog Day. But he, you know, undoubtedly committed a whole bunch of crimes, you know, with and for the benefit of Donald Trump, perhaps at the direction of Donald Trump. Can't imagine he was doing it all on his own out of the goodness of his heart. And Mark Meadows will have that same decision to make. Does he flip? Does he try to help hold accountable a criminal former president, or does he go down with the SS Trump? Because they're going down. You know, what I suspect will happen in the not too distant future is there will be a sizable conspiracy indictment returned by the grand jury. It will include lots of defendants and lots of crimes that occurred on and around January 6, 2021. And then, friends, we are going to see some flipping. We are going to see people dying to meet with the prosecutors, dying to save themselves, dying to reduce their own criminal exposure or their own 
possible criminal sentences. And, oh, we're going to see some flipping. Remember the Watergate scandal? You know, that quaint little scandal as compared to what we've lived through for the past six years? That involved 48 people being convicted. 48. We got a whole lot more than 48 coming in the insurrection conspiracy case, in my opinion. And I, for one, can't wait for that January 6th conspiracy indictment to drop. Because justice matters. Friends, as always, thank you for joining me on this long-form weekend podcast. If you want to find me elsewhere, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Glenn Kirshner 2 my name and the number 2. You can find my daily YouTube videos on my YouTube channel, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner. Of course, you can find these audio podcasts not only on the weekend, but during the week, wherever you ordinarily find your podcasts. And if you're interested in supporting our all-volunteer efforts here at Justice Matters, please feel free to come on over to patreon.com. You can sign up to become a patron, and if you do, I'll send you some Team Justice and Justice Matters stickers, a personal handwritten note of thanks, and I post pretty much daily something or another on Patreon, including some behind-the-scenes glimpses of everything we do here at Justice Matters. So until then, folks, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.